This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. You're listening to MPB's Season Pass. I'm Liz Gill here with Jay White, and it's Throwback Thursday. On today's show, we're going to speak with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame member Lou Hart. Uh, she's an award-winning golfer and also the former coach of the award-winning Meridian Community College golf team. We'll also speak with former University of Tennessee National Championship team member and former Columbus Quest player from the American Basketball League, Passion Thompson. But first, um, they've just finished their first season, so not too much of a throwback. We've invited onto the show Marsha Beasley, head coach for the University of Mississippi rifle team. Welcome to the show, Coach. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Well, I was so intrigued to learn that Ole Miss had a rifle team. This isn't one of the sports that, you know, gets attention every day. <laughs> that, is, that is correct. It's a smaller, smaller participation, and in the SEC, there's only two schools who, that have rifles. So Ole Miss competes in the GAFC, the Great American Rifle Conference, and that's because the SEC doesn't have a rifle component for all the schools. Is that right? That is correct. But University of Kentucky has a rifle team, and they actually are the current NCAA national champions. You're relatively new to Ole Miss. Uh, when did you join the Rebels from West Virginia? Well, this is my, I just finished the second, my second season here. Um, I moved in the summer of 2016, so I still feel very new. It's been an interesting transition. It's been great. <laughs> and we also picked off our, our assistant coach, uh, Jean-Pierre Lucas. He's also from uh, West Virginia? That is correct. It um, kind of happened to work out that way. It was not actually um, somebody I was looking for in recruiting, but um, the person who had been my assistant coach left for a job at her alma mater, and JP, as we call him, was planning to go in the Army to shoot for the U.S. Army shooting team, and then um, there was some issue with his uh, vision, and the Army decided they weren't going to take him, even though his vision is perfectly good enough to shoot world-class scores. So he ended up being available when I needed somebody, and it, it's been very interesting to have someone who was at West Virginia, because I had a gap in my coaching, so I hadn't been there for a few years and had not ever worked with JP before. Oh, okay, but we'll just make sure uh, nobody wear your Ole Miss Rebels gear near the West Virginia shooting team. <laughs> so this has been quite the season uh, for Ole Miss. You you were named the uh, Collegiate Rifle Asso- Coaches Association National Coach of the Year and the GARC Coach of the Year. And JP was also named the GARC Assistant Coach of the Year. Freshman Camilla Cash, how did you say her name is Cash? Keish. Keish. She just had a, a fantastic year being an individual qualifier for the NCAA championships and shooting a high personal score. What uh, what stands out most for you this season y'all have just wrapped up? Wow. It really was a very good year and I think the Coach of the Year awards that both myself and JP were fortunate to get uh, were very much a measure, you know, a reflection of the improvement that the team has made and really it's what the girls have done and we had a group of really several walk-ons and kids that I think weren't expected to do as well and things just came together. We had six freshmen and six returners and the combination uh, we were able to really improve and I think that's what the our peers were recognizing us for with Coach of the Year awards and every time I see somebody shoot a personal best I am so excited and we just <laughs> Had, we had them this year. Every shooter on the team, every shooter in the travel group had personal bests throughout the year. It was just a very rewarding year in that way. Now, educate our listeners. I love being the producer for this show and bringing out sports that it's not your average basketball, football, baseball. Um, what types of firearms does the rifle team use? We compete in two different events. One is small bore rifle, which is 
22 long rifle, uh, single action bolt rifle, and then in air rifle, which is uh, 177 caliber air pellet, and the system it uses compressed air. I'm a, a visual person, just watched the Winter Olympics, and I was especially interested in the biathlon. Do you use those types of rifles, do you know? Uh, there are differences, although I, I believe the most commonly used biathlon rifles are also manufactured by the same folks for the rifles that we use, and it is the basic, the action itself, the barreled action is the same. Shape of the stock is a little different uh, because of their requirements versus what we get to do. We don't have to do this after we go skiing in cold weather, <laughs> but um, similar. I would say that's probably a better visual than a hunting rifle. Whoever does the Ole Miss Athletic website, kudos to some of the photographs that they have there. We'll have a link to uh, the Ole Miss rifle team's portion of the website so folks can look at the rifles and see one of them. I love that there's a fins up uh, sticker on somebody's case. But the competitions, how are they structured? What does a a match look like? Kind of paint us a picture of it. Well, each team, the coach has to pick five shooters for each event before, before you start. And then the top four of that group of five will count for score. The shooters fire 20 shots kneeling, 20 shots prone, which is a laying down position, and 20 shots standing for the small bore course. And then the air rifle course, they fire 60 shots in standing, which means they are holding the rifle. It's not resting on anything. They're just holding it themselves. It's 120 shots per girl. 60 make up each event. And the air rifle is the exact Olympic event. The small bore rifle, we do a shortened course from what is held in the Olympics, both actually by distance, because we do it indoors in the winter, and number of shots. But it is patterned after Olympic shooting. What does the target look like for the small bore and the air rifles that y'all compete on? Well, we're aiming at a black circle that is uh, somewhere around an inch, and that's at 10 meters or 50 feet. However, to score a 10, the shooter has to hit a dot that is half a millimeter in size. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Basically, like a period at the end of a sentence uh, in a a newspaper. It's so small, you would not see what they have to hit with your just by looking. And so they have a larger aiming black, but the scoring is just a dot. I'm sorry. I'm just laughing because I I just, the skill, the the eyesight, the skill, uh, I'm extremely impressed. The the half a millimeter dot is very tiny. I mean, you couldn't even see it to aim at it. And that's the precision that the sport requires and that the competitors have developed. Oh, wow. Some of the photos that are on the website, uh, the competitions look like they take place indoors. Is that the case for most of your competitions? That is correct. All of the NCAA competitions are indoors through the winter. And then in the summer, um, the USA shooting, the Olympic-style competitions, those will will be outdoors for the small bore rifle. How's Ole Miss facilities? Oh, we have a great range. <laughs> we really do. It is beautiful. And I would say it is as good as anyone else's. We have 12 firing lanes. There are ranges that are larger, uh, which is nice. But I think for the 12 firing points, ours is as high a quality as anyone else's. And we have a, a very nice spectator area compared to a lot of places. Also, uh, I, I love the, the photos. The uniforms are snazzy. And they look like they have, you know, buckles and things. Are there uh, special components to the uniforms that uh, help our athletes? Yeah, the shooters wear jackets and pants that are leather or a leather canvas hybrid kind of design. And they provide support. Um, It does a couple things. It gives you rubber patches for your elbows and knees. And then support for your, your leaning back to balance the weight of the rifle. So some support for your back. It is support for the rifle, but it is still a challenge to hold the rifle. Like I said, they look snazzy. You mentioned that um, you had six returning athletes and six walk-ons. Are the athletes scholarship? We do have some scholarship money, mm-hmm. and actually it's six freshmen and six returners. Okay. Um, not all of the freshmen were walk-ons. Right. We had some who were walk-ons 
students um, who came to Ole Miss with no scholarship, no athletic scholarship assistance. Mm-hmm. The way the NCAA rules are, we're an equivalency sport, which means we are allotted the equivalent of 3.6 full scholarships. Mm-hmm. That can be divided up among the team members. Okay. So it really doesn't go very far. It would be like seven <laughs> people getting a half a scholarship, and we have it divided even less than that. So okay. it's very different than the football where everybody, it's a headcount sport, and up to your max number, everybody gets a full ride. Okay. How do you go about recruiting? I think all the coaches are trying <laughs> going after the same person. You know, we want somebody who is going to shoot the high scores and be a good student and get along with everybody and be coachable. But um, that being said, it is a score sport, so we can look at scores with some confidence as, you know, if somebody's shooting a score in this corner of the country, they're probably going to be able to do that somewhere else right. um, as opposed to where you're playing to the level of your opponent. Um, so that helps a little bit. And I have tried to look at the national championship events, national junior Olympics, um, some of the big competitions, and then from there pursue the uh, women who are shooting well. And actually, a lot of the girls on the roster right now, they were interested in us. They demonstrated, you know, this is where I really want to come. They came and visited and met us, and you know, we decided this was a, a good fit. And those are the ones in the walk-on category. They really wanted to come here and wanted to be here. And we were very fortunate to have the freshmen we had this year. Are there any team members f- who grew up in Mississippi, or is this something the Mississippi High School Athletic Association needs to, to cultivate? Well, it would be fabulous if the, <laughs> the High School Athletic Association supported Rifle. Georgia actually has a really big high school program, and they have kids on rosters across the country. Um, Mississippi is the opposite. There are a few, and I did have a girl, actually two girls were on the roster, but for one reason and another, we do not have any right now. Okay. And I think it is. It's a reflection of the high school and the junior club program in the state. I think they're supposed to have a big archery presence in the high schools now, so maybe we're sending our archery athletes out to take over the world. Uh. <laughs> and I think there is, that those two sports, it's the same type of skills and mindset, so you're probably right. Mm-hmm. I understand your season is over, but some of the athletes are going to move on and participate in Junior Olympic events this summer? Actually, the National Junior Olympics are coming up just next week in Colorado Springs, Colorado. We go and compete, use the Olympic Training Center facilities, and I do have six of the team members will be out there. Um, Those are the the freshman group. The international rule for junior age is through the year in which you reach your 20th birthday. So some of the college kids do get to go to the National Junior Olympics. Back to some of the uh, highlights of the year. Y'all did some school record setting. Tell us about some of that. Well, we set the aggregate school record twice. We set it one weekend and then a week later when we were at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. (laughs) I just, I I don't know. I I just want to hear the announcer say, now at the University of Alaska Fairbanks, the University of Mississippi. Yeah, it was was a, a really special trip, I think, for everyone. Only my assistant coach had been there before. None of the rest of us had ever been, and we went in January to Fairbanks, <laughs> and it was it was just a very neat opportunity. The girls broke their own school record that they'd set a week earlier by almost 20 points, and several girls had personal bests, and it was it was a neat trip. We actually got to spend a day going to Chena Hot Springs, and we went dog sledding. Oh, ooh. This just goes to show that college athletes not only get their horizons broadened from their sport, but they get to participate in other travel opportunities and, you know, just to see a little bit more outside of of Mississippi. Very much so. And Alaska is not something we get to do every year, (laughs) but um, they've got one of the top teams in the country, and it was just a neat experience that we got to go up and do that. Okay, now help me with my nomenclature. When we say Great American Rifle Conference, do we call it GARC or is it just G-A-R-C? We, the coaches and the members of GARC, all say GARC. GARC, okay. Uh, and, you know, whether that's what you want to say, I don't know, but that's, that's how we do it. Tell me a good team story. When we came back in January, a week and a half before school started, so I thought I would schedule our travel at that time. And we spent 47 hours getting from Oxford 
transferred to Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> uh, no. we, did, we did get to get a hotel room twice. We got two hotel rooms, but because of the icing and the bad weather, we got stuck in Memphis. And Coach was very accommodating, and he said, okay, we'll just start an hour. The match was supposed to start at 8 a.m., and we weren't there. And he said, we'll just start an hour after you get here. So we walked in at 4 in the afternoon, um, started the match at 5 after this horrendous travel situation. The girls hadn't had. We had got up at 3 in the morning to try to get there. That was the first school record we set this year at Ohio State um, was in that kind of condition. And that was something I was just really proud of everybody because we said, you know, it's not ideal conditions, but just make the best of it. And it's not, you know, whatever happens will happen. And we just asked them to perform and they put up a school record. On pure adrenaline. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, that is fantastic. Well, we can't wait for the season to start back up. When's our first fall match that the public maybe could watch or we should pay attention to? We have a meet September 29th, but actually it's in Memphis, okay. at University of Memphis. And I don't have the schedule in front of me. I believe our first home meet is two weeks after that, but oh. I, will, I can get you that. All right. Well, we'll we'll put that up on our website and uh, remind everyone in September. Coach Marsha Beasley from the Old Miss Rifle Team, we appreciate you being on Season Pass this morning. Well, thank you so much for having me. When we come back from the break, we'll speak with Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame golfer Lou Weddington-Hart and Mississippi native and basketball overachiever Passion Thompson. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with producer Liz Gill. I'm Jay White. Thank you for joining us this morning. Our guest now was the first female in the National Junior College Athletic Association Men's Golf Coaches Hall of Fame and the first uh, and so far only father-daughter duo in the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Welcome to the show, Lou Weddington Hart. Thank you so much for coming in. How are you? Oh, I'm great, Jay. I sure appreciate you having me today. Absolutely. So let's get started with uh, golf. When did you... Uh, when did the golf bug bite you? When did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Oh, I was pretty young. My dad was a, a great golfer, as you said. He was in the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. And uh, he would bring my twin brother and myself out to Northwood to play golf, and we were about eight years old. And we'd play four holes with dad. We'd play one, two, three, and nine. And uh, we just had a wonderful time just being out with him. And so that's kind of when the bug bit. How difficult was it to break into the sport, or, or was it? What were the opportunities to play outside of just, you know, municipal or city, you know, golf courses or things like that. But it, when you decided that this is kind of something you wanted to do, how, how difficult was it to pursue? Well, it really wasn't hard to pursue, but it was a little different venue. You didn't have any girls that played much back then. Mm -hmm. Now, I was lucky uh, that the golf pro at the time was named Bill Davis, and he was a great teaching pro and uh, had a lot of great men golfers come through Northwood. Uh, actually, at that time, his daughter and I were about the same age, and she liked to play golf. So we played together starting out as kids. But then when she started dating and found a driver's license and a car, she kind of decided that she wanted to go a different direction. And I kept on playing, and I played with the boys because there really weren't many girls to play with. And uh, then the ladies at Northwood took me in, and I got to play with them. But uh, the interesting thing back then was there were no junior tournaments for girls, hardly at all. Yeah. So uh, you just had to go play and work on your game. And if something came along, uh, you played. and. Most of the time, it would be in ladies' tournaments. So that was kind of an interesting thing for a little kid playing yeah. in a grown-up tournament. <laughs> Do you play a lot of guys' tournaments, too, also? No, the girls weren't, uh, not like it is today. Yeah. Um, Allie McDonald, I think you all have heard of her. She's now playing the LPGA Tour, All-American for Mississippi State. She actually won the high school boys' championship in her division playing from the men's tees. So women nowadays, girls nowadays, get to play in the men's tournaments a lot of times. But back when I was coming along, it wasn't done. The funny part was um, I had wanted to try to play on the boys' golf team in high school, and uh, it didn't work out. But uh, then I went to Meridian Community College, and I heard by the grapevine they were going to have a boys' team. I mean, they were going to have a golf team. 
And so I went in to talk to Coach Jim Redgate, and I said, Coach, I said, I hear you're starting a golf team. He said, yeah. I said, uh, what are the chances of me playing? He said, great, you're on the team. I said, well, I said, uh, what if we get to a tournament and they don't want a girl to play? Uh, he said, We'll put our clubs back in the car, and we'll go back home. You're on the team. And that meant a ton back in the day when that yeah. really wasn't done. Wow. So tell me about about your time at Meridian and, and getting to play on the, the first ever golf it was, team. It was first ever of a team. And uh, the funny part, I'll be honest with you, and this is true, the only reason I got to play, and I say the only reason, was they needed a fifth player. You had five on the team, <laughs> and I was number five. So, uh, But the guys accepted me. Uh, Larry Love... Uh, would go to any team and said the girl's on our team and you know she can play uh so that was really a, sp- a special time now it, we played maybe one or two tournaments maybe one or two you know so i mean it wasn't it was just in its infancy yeah but uh, that truly was a, a a fun experience so about the time that you got to meridian uh, uh junior college mississippi had its first uh, women's state am tournament state amateur tournament right around that time oh no 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 the mississippi women's amateurs been going on for oh, close to 75, 80, 90, maybe oh, okay. even 100 years. I so, yeah, you. it's okay. been going so on maybe forever. You played, you played in your first. Right. I played my first okay. senior. I played my first state am when I was like uh, 16 years old. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've played in approximately. 48, maybe, now. <laughs> so I've been playing for a while. How did you come about going to Florida State? Actually, back to Meridian Community College. They found out that they were having a uh, national championship for women's golf. But it wasn't, it, it was different than it's run now. You could have community colleges or D1 schools playing. And uh, the Ms. Nicholson was the the lady that found out about it, and she took me to the to the championship, and we went to Georgia, played at the University of Georgia, and uh, I met girls from four year colleges that were playing golf, and that's when I found out that Florida State had a team, and Florida that was the closest team that I found to Meridian. And so that's wow. when I, why I ended up, you know, going to Florida State. Wow, how about that? And again, that was golf pretty much in its infancy. There mm-hmm. were no women's scholarships, not golf scholarships at the time. And uh, we had two girls that could break 80. We had two girls that could break 90 and two girls that break 100. And in the two years I played, we only ever had one good tournament. We finished third in one tournament. The rest <laughs> of them, we were dead last. Or close. But uh, it was a fun experience and got to meet people from all over the, the southeast, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, after Florida State, you start your, well, I guess you continue your amateur career. So you have nine state championships. I was very blessed. The Lord was very kind to me. Um, I was pretty driven, I guess you'd say. Pretty I had, good? I, well, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, but good, I, had, yeah. I had a wonderful husband that was very supportive and... And uh, as a matter of fact, I met him at Florida State. Uh, mm-hmm. The funny thing about that was uh, we had one date hitting range balls, and then I had to fly back to Mississippi to play in a state amateur. And he said, well, I just might, you know, drive up and watch play. So, I mean, I've known him for about a week. He drives from Tallahassee, Florida to Tupelo, Mississippi, and watches mm-hmm. me play in the state am, and I shoot a 69, which was crazy. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. We've been married uh, 42 years. So first date was? At, at the driving uh, range, um, huh? um, Yes, yes, yes. He was That's a, a server right in my sorority, my sorority house, and one of my sorority sisters kind of hooked us up. But like I said, the first date was to hit range balls. <laughs> All right, so as a nine-time state champion, how do you go about deciding or thinking about what's next, or do you want to pursue something different? Um, I mean, you're not stacking up a bunch of money being an amateur champion, but obviously you're very, very, very good at this. So how do you try to apply this into what you want to do next in life? Well, the, the play, I was always working while I was, was playing, and I worked at um, Northwood for a while, and uh, I was also worked at Holiday Inn and did different things. And uh, the neat thing about golf is, is you can play the game forever. You can play it, as my father would say, from the cradle to the grave. My daddy was 98 when he passed, and he played golf until he was about 97 or 96. And the neatest thing to me about golf is the people that you meet mm-hmm. and the, the friendships that you forge. Uh, I've got friends that are 7, 8, 19 years old, and I've got friends that are 80, 90 years old. And we're all close because of golf. And it teaches you values. It teaches you um, all types of wonderful 
wonderful things. Patience. And patience, <laughs> which I not necessarily don't have. But, uh, you know, golf to me is just a wonderful sport uh, because you can have so many friends. You can have, I have men friends. I have girlfriends. Uh, and you wouldn't have these people in your life if it were not for the common denominator, which is golf. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's pretty fabulous. So uh, you've been coaching uh, for a long, long time now. Seven NJCAA Region 23 titles at Meridian. Talk to me about going back to Meridian and coaching where you helped start the first team. Well, it was it was kind of ironic. The uh, uh, the vice president at the time, uh, we were buddies, and he was running tournaments at Northwood, and I was kind of helping him. So one day I was just kidding him. I said, if Coach Redgate, which is the gentleman I spoke of earlier, ever retires, call me. I might want to I might want to consider <laughs> a golf coach. I was strictly kidding. And so he said, okay. A month or two, three, four months later, a year later, he comes up to me and he goes, Coach Redgate's retiring. And I said, oh, okay. And he goes, we'd like for you to think about being the golf coach. I said, no, I was just kidding. It was a joke. He followed me around off and on for about a month. <laughs> said, I got the contract in my pocket. And I kept saying, no, I don't want to drive the van. I'm scared. He said, you'll be fine. We'll teach you. It'll be all right. So anyway, I ended up uh, agreeing to take the job. And it was such a blessing. Uh, so many wonderful kids that I got to, to meet and and their parents and all, and I still hear from some of them, and, uh, you know, it truly was a blessing, and hopefully I was able to, um, let's see, give them some good things to remember me by, as opposed to just always getting chewed out for stuff, but uh, anyway, it truly was a blessing. And that's, yeah, that was, a, that was a, a, a justified concern, that MACJC, there are some bus rides. Oh, yeah. Some oh, yeah. van rides, to be sure. For sure. <laughs> and, and I mean, like our golf tournaments, we played around the southeast. I mean, we would go to Georgia and play and go to Tennessee to play. I take them to Texas. The thing about it is, I was nowhere near the first woman to coach the men's team. Polly Rabelais, who coached for Hines Community College, uh, was one of my one of the women that I looked up to because she coached the guys uh, before I ever started coaching. And there's been some other women that have, have coached as well. And it, it's ama- it does work out well. I think a lot of times the parents like the idea of handing their freshmen off to a woman, knowing that I would keep an eye on them and you know make sure they were in class. And doing what they were supposed to do, and uh, so I think that was kind of a, a good thing for me. Uh, whereas the men, yeah. uh, you know, the, the mothers wanted their sons, you know, <laughs> mothered a little bit. So right. it was interesting. That is very interesting. Um, as a coach, what is, and not necessarily of college players, but I mean, you mentioned you have you know friendships with people of all kinds of different ages. When you get a fresh player or somebody new who's wanting to jump in, what's one of the first things that you want to, or the first series of things, principles maybe, that you want to communicate to them about the game? Definitely you want them to have fun. Mm-hmm. You really need to get a beginner with a teaching professional, uh, maybe not right off the bat, but in, you know, pretty close, so that they can learn, you know, the proper grip, the proper stance, uh, the proper, just the basics, so that you don't build in a lot of really bad habits starting out. Um, but like I say, the one thing that I, that I think is so fabulous about the game is that you can play it from the cradle to the grave and think about it how many games can you do truly do that yeah and i'll be honest with you there's probably more business dealings transacted on a golf course <laughs> than probably any other sport uh and it's a great way to connect with people connect with the community be able to give back to your community because so many people have tournaments that are for um to raise money for different uh charities and stuff and and that way you can you know work with other people and and make a difference so tell me, obviously, you, you've helped forge golf here uh, in the last 20, 30 years in the state of Mississippi and women's golf also, to be sure. When they have the, the U.S. Open in mm-hmm. Mississippi, the U.S. Women's Open, mm-hmm. um, I guess what's close to 20 years ago now or so. But mm-hmm. tell me about that that experience, having uh, the, the U.S. Open come to Mississippi and, and play in our border here. That, that was truly was unbelievable. You know, I mean, George Bryan... It's such a visionary to go to West Point, Mississippi, and to start Old Waverly. Yeah. Unbelievable. And then they get the Women's U.S. Open. And so girls and men and women from around the country, young boys, can go to West Point and see the best women golfers play from the world. Yeah. Not just Mississippi, not just the United States, but the world. I mean, it was fabulous. It was a showcase for Mississippi. You know, it showed how great Mississippi is. A lot of people don't don't realize that, mm-hmm. that we have so much to offer. 
and uh, to be able to to just drive an hour and a half up the road or you know it was really a fabulous experience and and all of the volunteers and it could not have been run better uh, and they I think unless I'm mistaken I think they have a really big tournament coming up uh, in the near future yeah. another women's tournament mm-hmm. coming up and I think it's the U.S. Amateur mm-hmm. unless I'm off a little bit but anyway so it's a fabulous thing uh, like I say showcase and look at look at uh, Sanderson Farms yeah uh, what Joe Sanderson has done I mean it's just it's it just makes me feel good about my state and about my sport. That, that people are willing to to step up to the plate and and do what these men have done. Well, it, it is it is the sport that Mississippi has a like legit major league. Oh yeah, no uh, question. Uh, it, 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 you can experience the legitimate major leagues here in Mississippi. I know there are minor league teams in other sports, you know, affiliated minor leagues in baseball and things like that. But um, uh, between the, the the tournament in the Jackson area, the PGA Tour mm-hmm. tournament, and the Champions. On the coast, uh, oh yeah, the coast. this was there last week. Yeah, it's it it, it really is uh, pretty remarkable. The uh, MWGA Edit Award recipient for major contributions to golf in Mississippi, two thousand three. What was how was that like being uh, uh, being recognized for your contribution to the sport here? That was very very special. Um, this was an award that they uh, the ladies in Natchez, Mississippi, started, and um, I actually was the first recipient, which really blew me away. Um, <laughs> I guess if you live as long as I have, thank you God, and you're blessed with good health, and you you know like I say playing in as many tournaments and being around as much as I have, they they felt um, that maybe I had done something. To deserve that, but uh, maybe, maybe uh, <laughs> I, I really was quite touched. How often do you play these days? Uh, three or four times a week. Yeah. Yeah, when the weather's good. Uh, my husband just retired, and so that's great. We're, we're getting to play some together and uh, still play some tournaments. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't play in the, don't try to play in the U.S. Uh, amateur things anymore. That's kind of passed me by, but uh, uh, still play in local tournaments and state yeah. tournaments. What do you think about uh, how far the game has come, the, the, how far the LPGA has come since... You kind of, I, I want to say, broke onto the scene. It's unbelievable how far the girls hit it today, how well they play. Like Allie McDonald, as I was mentioning a mm-hmm. minute ago, from Fulton, Mississippi. Um, last week, she was tied for seventh in the championship series playing in. This week, uh, she was, I think, 23rd, something along those lines. She's made the cut in every LPGA event that she's played in this year so far. Uh, she played great last year, kept her card. Uh, just phenomenal player, phenomenal girl. Mm-hmm. Uh, goes out of her way to, um, you know, represent Mississippi with class. Uh, and how far the girls can hit it. Some of them are hitting it over 300 yards. I mean, it is insane. Yeah. The scores they're shooting, like 16, 17, 18 under par. Back when I was a kid coming up, the LPGA, I'm going to say they were shooting maybe three, four, five under par. You know, around par was great. That was winning tournaments. Nowadays, you don't make the cut. I mean, it is the <laughs> same thing with the men. Uh, you got uh, Jonathan What, what about the technology? I know, it, oh, it, yeah. People are, human beings are bigger than they were, and uh, all sports have more specialized training and, and things like that, and I understand. But the technology has come so far. As a coach... Um, is there a is there a point of diminishing returns with technology and the purity of the game? Have you ever thought about that? Do you have an opinion about that? Well, to me, you can get too technical yeah. would be what I would say. Because nowadays you can look at every swing on your phone and you, and you got the... I mean, so yeah, I think you can get too carried away. And to be honest with you, nowadays everybody's swing, most everybody's swing looks like everybody else's swing. But they certainly are producing. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't know. But I think a lot of it, like say technology, is a lot of it. The golf ball goes further. The club heads are bigger. You've got graphite. That's just it. I mean, know, I mean every driver is a uh, rocket launcher exactly. now. Exactly. So, I mean. Plus the fact for women and for men, uh, they're all in the gym. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you look back when I was a kid coming up, nobody was lifting weights. You were told you shouldn't lift weights playing golf because it would uh, mess you up, yeah. mess up your feel, mess up your time, Make and yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But nowadays, all the women are in the gym. All the men are in the gym. Uh, they're, they're, and if you look at the, the physiques back in the day, you know, <laughs> they didn't, a lot of them didn't look like athletes. But nowadays, you know, uh, it's it, between, the, between that and the technology and, to be honest, with you, like I say, the the being able to film yourself and tweak things, I think that's uh, a lot of why the game has improved so much. When you first got into playing, you ever think about 
what you could have done, how things might have been different if you had some of the technology they have now. <laughs> well, it, yeah, but everybody else would have had it back then, too. Yeah. Now, if I'd have been the only one with it, yeah, maybe. Um, but, you know, I was blessed to, to be able to, to do what I've done. There's no question about God um, was mighty good to me. Yeah. Um, and if it hadn't been for my father uh, being a great player and me and him being really, really, really tight and uh, you know, I don't know that golf would have been such a priority, but uh, with him as a role model and my twin brother, he played at Ole Miss. As a matter of fact, he was runner-up in the men's amateur before I ever won a women's am. Uh, he was certainly was a role model for me and an inspiration. And so, you know, I, I was lucky to have them in my life. Yeah. Advice for first dates. Go to the golf range. Positively. Find somebody that loves golf like you do and go, po- and go to the range. Positively. No question about it. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, and to me, my husband and I are so blessed because we have something in common. So many people don't. You know, it's not if we're going to play golf, it's where we're going to play golf. So we have something that we enjoy together. And, And that's one thing that I would say to anybody. My husband said the number one rule of a good marriage is separate checking accounts. <laughs> I would say the number one rule is oh, goodness. find yourself a church, <laughs> find yourself, you know, and have something you get along <laughs> that you enjoy doing. Hey, I'm telling you the truth. That's uh, true. Yeah, I'm serious. Somebody asked him one day for his advice for how long, why have you been married for so long? He said separate checking accounts. He keeps his meticulous. Uh-huh. Mine, I don't, don't. So that that's hilarious. That's, that's fantastic. That's true. <laughs> Lou Eddington Hart, thank you so much for your time, and we appreciate you coming in. Thank you, Jay. I'll take care. Jay, I love that interview. Uh, this next one should be good too. Philadelphia native Passion Thompson. She's going to reminisce uh, with us about her time with Pat Summit and being a pro basketball player. enjoyed this interview we invite you to go to our website mpbonline.org slash season pass to hear more interviews with mississippi sports hall of fame members Now I'd like to welcome to the show former University of Tennessee National Championship team member. They ended number one in 96 and 97 and former Columbus Quest player, which was the American Basketball League championship team when she played in uh, 97-98, Passion Thompson. Thanks for coming on the show, Passion. Thanks for having me. Well, now you played high school basketball in Philadelphia, Mississippi. Was that your only sport or had you also been involved in others before that? Well, at that time, we just had high school, junior high and high school girls basketball and had track, you know, and field. So the only thing I was focusing on was just, just basketball. That's my, that was my love. That was my passion. That was all I wanted to do. So I was just playing basketball. You had such a, a phenomenal high school career, doing so well in the, the tournaments and with your team. You were such a good player. Did you have help or did, I don't want you to throw shade on any of your former <laughs> former teammates, uh, uh, you know, did they help you? Were you were was it kind of a, a good mix of talents? Yes, I had some very good teammates. They all were had their own unique talents, you know, as far as position with guards. But I had uh, two very good teammates. One, her name was Memory Hunter. She lives here in Philadelphia now. She was a very good forward. She had offers to some ACC and SEC schools as, as well. So I think she ended up going to junior college. And I had two more teammates, another guard, another post player. I think they went to um, East Central Community College as well. So the only thing we were short, you know, as far as position was point guard. Talk to us a little bit about being chosen or choosing, you know, to play in college. Oh, my goodness. That started in the, I think about the seventh to eighth grade, the first time I started receiving some letters from, you know, different SEC and ACC schools. (laughs) And that was because I was playing summer league basketball under. 
Harold Legan. If you remember one time for a few years, Harold Legan, he was assistant coach with Van Chancellor when he coached the Houston Comet in the WNBA. Mm-hmm. So he was my AAU summer league coach. And what he did, he got girls from different high schools, top girls from different high schools all over the state of Mississippi. And we practiced at Jackson Prep Academy in Jackson, Mississippi, you know, once basketball season was over. Mm-hmm. And through AAU, we traveled all over the state of Mississippi, Phoenix, Arizona, um, New Mexico, Texas, Atlanta. We traveled everywhere to different, you know, AAU tournaments. And that's where the college co- college coaches started to see me play. And then the letters started coming in. And I knew for a long time I either wanted to go to Louisiana Tech. I think the coach there was Leon Barrymore. It was Louis- Louisiana Tech, Florida, Tennessee, and then Georgia. Mm-hmm. As, you know, I played every year, you know, high school basketball and summer league every year since the seventh grade. And as the letters continued to pour in, I started my, going on my visit. I went to all, took all my visits. But when I went to Tennessee, I just felt something different. After talking to Pat and the other coaching staff and the players, I felt something different. And I knew I won a national championship ring. You know, I was part of a winning <laughs> right. And, you know, nothing against Mississippi schools at all. Because I had been to basketball camps at Ole Miss, Michigan State, Southern Miss, East Central, the junior colleges. I just wanted something else. Right. Well, what was it like playing for Pat Summit? What did it mean to play for her and with her? Oh, it was tough. I can't can give a lot of credit to I can give a lot of credit to my mom and my aunts. They were strong women yeah. you know, for me and my cousins growing up. And then I had a very strong high school basketball, junior high high school basketball coach, Angie Ryle. She was from Louisville, Mississippi. She loved Pat Summit, so her style of coaching and playing kind of imitated Pat's a little bit. Mm-hmm. So by the time I got to college playing for Pat, it wasn't that much of a shock to me mm-hmm. how tough she was on the court, off the court. You know, Pat told us she was going to be our everything. I think the assistant, Mickey DeMoss, one time said that uh, we were going to be like Tupac, all eyes on us. <laughs> that rap song. Uh-huh. And she did not lie. She had all eyes on us. She made sure we walked that fine line, that we were going to be productive young women first, athletes second, and that we would graduate from college. <laughs> <laughs> what a concept for a coach. <laughs> <laughs> she, she and the others said they were tough. They loved us. We knew they loved us. We knew that whatever we needed or wanted, they would do their best, you know, to make sure we had it. But they had expectations of us as well as young women to excel in the classroom and on the court. Whatever you had in you, Pat, she would get it out of <laughs> that you was not going to leave that court, you know, leaving you know leaving anything on the court. Oh, man. Oh, man. So your freshman year, as I understand, y'all made it to the Sweet 16. And your right. sophomore year, you were uh, runners up. You know how these uh, Mississippi State girls feel. Yes, yes, I do. I talked Victoria Vivens came down to the elementary school about two months ago, and we talked about it. And when that I saw that game the other night, uh, it was like a dagger went through my heart. I knew, like you said, I knew exactly how they how they felt to go the entire season, you know, winning games and doing your best, and you come down to the last game. Except our games, we didn't lose at the buzzer, right? But still, it's still the same feeling whether you lose by ten or lose at the buzzer. To know you did went through that entire season and got there and you didn't win. How long does it take to go from feeling like you're the loser to, man, we came in second out of the whole country? For us, mm, it took a long, it took a while for us. Mm-hmm. High, you know, we knew Pat and later by our program had high expectations of us and we had high expectations of ourselves. So it took a while for it to sink in that, you know, we come in second place. For us, that was unacceptable. Right. But, you know, for some schools, that may be okay for them to get to the Sweet 16, the Elite 8, or the Final Four. Uh-huh. But for the Tennessee program, it was expected every year you make it to the Final Four and you expect it to win. So having that added pressure as a lady ball, you know, it took a long time for us to get used to that. Oh, sure. But then uh, your next two years, 96 and 97, y'all were the, the NCAA tournament champions. And I know the championship game is uh, one game on one day, but uh, was that just the best high? It was. I mean, it really was. I mean, cause that was my junior year, and we weren't expected to win. <laughs> For some strange we were number one, but some of the teams that we had lost against, we wasn't expected to win. Right. My junior senior, we were all, you know, we were seen as the underdog because UConn was starting to come into the picture, into right. the picture as far as women's basketball. So everything was about UConn, but winning that game, oh my gosh. 
I get chill bumps now. I can see different images flashing, you know, right before my eyes, how good Pat felt. Right. I mean, it was, it, and it, you can't describe it. Right. You can't describe it. It's a wonderful feeling. I wish Mississippi State could have, you know, felt that same feeling. Right. It's something you will never forget. When you see other teams win the championship, you start reminiscing different parts of the game and after the game, taking the trip to the White House to meet the president, the big parade coming back into Knoxville, fans going crazy, you know. Right. It's, it's, something, it's something very special. Right. The uh, American Basketball League, it started in the fall of 96, and the WNBA played its first game in June of 97 and you signed uh, with the, the uh, American Basketball League and the Columbus Quest. Um, had you had a decision to make on which league to participate in or had you already gotten set uh, with the American Basketball League? Tell, tell us about that time. Well, the American Basketball League, it was the first league to start right. for the WNBA. It's 96-97 was the first year. Mm-hmm. 97 98 was the second year, and I was drafted out of college, you know, like you said, to the Columbus Quest in Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. and that was the second year. We won. They won the first year. We won the second year, and after the second year, because the league was in such a financial strain, right. it wasn't supported by the NBA like the WNBA is now. So the year that you played for the Columbus Quest, and that's Ohio, y'all, um, <laughs> your, your team was, you know, looking at the stats, your team was just by far the best in either conference. What was it like to play professional basketball? It was amazing. I mean, I thank God for the, you know, the opportunity that I was blessed to have. Mm-hmm. And with those group of ladies, the Columbus Quest, they were all awesome. And it was extremely, it was more special because four of the girls, three of the other girls, they were former Lady Vol. Oh, okay. Tina Davis, Tina Davis, I played with her for three years. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't play with Tanya Edwards. She had already gone, you know, my, my freshman year. Mm-hmm. I played two years with Nikki McCray. And right now, Nikki McCray, she's the head coach of Old Dominion uh-huh. basketball. And so it was four lady balls on that team. So that was that was extremely special for us. <laughs> and Coach Agler, he was an awesome coach, awesome man, you know, awesome person, awesome coach. Currently, he's the head coach of the WNBA's Los Angeles Sparks. The movie A League of Their Own came out in, in 92. Had, did you think about that any when you were playing professional basketball and thinking about the, the players' stories in that movie? Yes. As a matter of fact, you know, we had the, um, a ring ceremony. 20 years later to receive our rings for winning the championship in 1997, mm-hmm. uh, 98 with the Columbus Quest. And as soon as we started seeing each other, automatically we started reminiscing yeah. different things that happened on the court, off the court, <laughs> airport, in the locker room. It was just like we picked up from 1998 and started giggling like little high school girls. <laughs> you know, it was funny. I was, we were like, oh my goodness, you remember when this happened? You remember when that happened? Uh-huh. You know, it was it was an awesome experience. After you you played uh, with the Quest. Were you ready for more basketball? I was kind of in between. Like you say, I was into, I was burned out a little bit mentally, physically. <laughs> I, was <kinda> burned out. <laughs> I was kind of thinking I'll just take some time off and try to get back into it. But once I took the time off, it was hard to try to work that extra hard to get back in shape and get back in the game again. From playing uh, basketball to a kid, uh, that that's that's a lot of basketball. <laughs> yes, it is. It's a lot of traveling, a lot of time from home, a lot of sacrifices, you know. But if you, when you love the game, you'll do it. Then you became a coach for in Olive Branch and in Philadelphia for uh, not only high school basketball, but younger kids and other sports. What were some of the, the best coaching methods that you tried to implement uh, when you were uh, coaching kids? Um, coaching the kids, uh, some of the things I tried to implement with, with them with just having an attitude on the court, giving it 100%. If you make a mistake, just forget about the mistake, learn from it, and, you know, keep pushing forward. I think at that age, I had junior high kids, their self-esteem was kind of low. They were quick to get down on themselves, and they were quick to, as we would say, go in a tank. They would go in the hole, and it would take you forever to pull them out of that hole mentally to get them back focused on the game. So with them, it was like, okay, you make a mistake, let's learn from it. Don't dwell on it. Continue to move forward. You know, the attitude, the scrappiness, the feistiness, 
it's just having an attitude on the court, knowing that, you know, you're the best. You're going to give your best. Did you have any coaches that used, I don't know, techniques that uh, you absolutely did not use uh, when you were coaching? Um, it was one coach. I'm not going to say which county. <laughs> I don't know who I'm talking about. She would send me a text message later. But I can remember, remember after certain games when the kids lost, that she would make them run bleachers yeah. after the game, you know, and they were crying and upset. And I was thinking, no, I, I couldn't do that. I would wait till we got back to the gym yeah. and did that. Well, with all of the coaching, it, you know, it seems like a lot of the coaches, uh, coaches are not only the coaches, they're the mamas for the team. They're the yeah. counselors for the teams. Um, so far. <laughs> <laughs> that takes a, a lot of strain uh, on a person. So uh, after you stopped coaching, were you still involved in athletics? Yes, we have a little basketball league here in Philadelphia at the Booker T. Washington Gym mm-hmm. where we have the, the younger kids mm-hmm. from like ages six to maybe right before they start playing junior high. Uh-huh. We had those basketball leagues going. Yeah. I would coach and help with them and help with practices, you know, things like that. Right. We have a couple of basketball teams at church. Uh-huh. We would play on the last Wednesday of each month and on Saturdays we would have basketball tournaments and games against other churches. And your job right now with uh, elementary, what are you doing? I'm a physical education teacher and a health teacher. So I enjoy PE. I'm able to have, I feel like I have more control over them and their behavior in PE sometimes than the teachers do in the classroom. Well, so I know. It's obedient. You know, I can make them do extra push-ups, <laughs> jumping jacks, wall squats, you know, things, things like that. But also teaching them about, self, you know, increasing their self-confidence, self-esteem, you know, things like that. Well, as a parent, I know and believe that, uh, you know, physical education for the kids, it's right. extremely important uh, for learning. And right. you, you learn things in physical education that carry you on through life. Right, right. You sure do. It depends on which class I have. I may have to emphasize more on teamwork, on sharing. So just teaching them how to share, being kind. Because with social media and everything that's going on in the news, they see a lot. And then they copycat a lot of things that they see on television, you know, in their home environment, in their neighborhood. Sometimes they tend to try to bring that into the classroom or in the gym Yeah. when it comes to dealing with certain things. So just every day trying to teach them this is how we behave. This is the behavior that, that I expect out of you. This is how you should behave in this situation. Just re- repetition with those things with them. Well, I appreciate you reminiscing with us this morning about uh, your glory days. As a mama, I appreciate you <laughs> getting some exercise for uh, these these kids now that they not don't just have their heads stuck in uh, video games and and televisions and phones, and that exactly. you're teaching them the importance of uh, healthy exercise and fun. Yes, yes. Because my son Isaiah, he's a sixth grader at the elementary school. He's twelve years old, and he my thing is get outside, and he loves being outside. I bought him an Xbox three sixty for Christmas. I think he's played it twice. <laughs> well, he's like me, he's better be outside playing. Good. Well, Passion Thompson, thank you so much for being on our show. Thanks so much for having me. We hope you've enjoyed our show today. If you'd like to hear more Season Pass, go to mpbonline.org slash Season Pass or subscribe to our podcast. For Jay White, I'm Liz Gill. This is MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.